So this evening is uh, March 21st. It is 2012. As a side note, it is my son's birthday. It is Gabriel's birthday tonight. We nicknamed him Giver a long time before we started to look into Hebrew, but Giver Ha'il means mighty warrior. And uh, that's been his nickname since before we knew what it, it meant. And that is perfectly appropriate for tonight because our subject tonight is spiritual violence. This will be the first in a series. I'm not usually comfortable with series, but this message is too big to uh, not have a series for. Turn with me to Matthew 11, verse 12. When I say spiritual violence, there was a movement that went through the church in the 80s that had to do with a kind of a militant uh, attitude. I'm not about to put on fatigues. I'm not about to march around. The only weapons that uh, you will see me involved with are the ones that have been pointed at me recently. But if a man can put an AK-47 in my face on a mission trip, if it can happen a couple months in a row, if my truck can be stolen from this parking lot while I'm preaching the gospel, if I can have three Bibles stolen in two years, if we can lose the very first instruments that we ever bought for worship to a, 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 a theft, if we can watch our loved ones succumb to death only in the hope that there is a resurrection, if we can feel these kind of things, then I can preach about spiritual violence. And if somebody doesn't understand it, you're going to become acquainted with it because it's happening whether you want it to or not. Are you in Matthew 11? Yes. In Matthew 11. Uh, let us read verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Often quoted, little understood. One translation says, the kingdom of God suffereth violence. The idea is that there are real serious contentions, heavyweight struggles, real battles. This kind of mamby-pamby, lackadaisical preaching that is going on about just not God's best for you, and this uh, complete apathy towards sin and love for this world does not acknowledge the fact that spiritual forces are being exerted on us all of the time. And we will either have them exerted on us and be conformed into their will, or we will exert spiritual force upon them and see God's will done. And there really is no middle ground. I'm tired of a Christianity that is being popularized that does little more than teach you to hold your ground. It does little more than teach you to protect your life from personal sin. Friends, that's like trying to win some athletic contest like a baseball game by getting to first base only. That is only a first step in this battle. You were never called simply to maintain. The kingdom of God is advanced forcefully, and forceful people advance it. We need to learn where and when and how to fight. We need to know what it is to struggle. Anytime you want to step out and do something for God, anytime there are pressures that are, are, are facing you. Look at Luke 16, 16. These ought to be familiar scriptures to many of you, but they're worth reading again. This Bible is a book of war. It starts with war. It finishes with war. And it's through a superior power, a superior forcefulness, a superior, more authentic authority that peace is finally obtained. Tell me when you're in Luke 16, 16. Yeah. Somebody read it aloud. Read it loud enough to hear it around the world. The law and the prophets will proclaim it till John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. 
Everyone is forcing his way into it. This is a companion scripture to the one in Matthew. It takes a forceful personality. It takes someone who is full of determination, somebody who understands the times and knows what to do. I would like to submit to you today that there is a kind of awareness that comes upon you when people force you. You might just be thinking about your grocery list in the store. You might just be thinking about what you have to do, but let somebody walk up to you and shove you to the ground and there is an entirely new kind of alertness, an awareness that comes over you. Uh, in athletics, we used to call it being in the zone. There's a moment where you notice every little thing. You know, I don't know what you guys think. We talk about these stories to the point where they just kind of become stories and you can forget there are real people involved. But I had, a, at the time, a 10-year-old son uh, how old are you, Larissa? A 21-year-old uh, young woman sitting behind me. My mother sitting next to me and a man put an AK-47 in my face. Can I tell you? I can tell you how many freckles were on his forehead. There is something, a heightened sense of awareness that happens when you know it's game time. There is a lackadaisical kind of apathy, a kind of lethargy that comes over us when we don't recognize that it's game time. Little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and we're at rest. But there is a kind of awareness that happens when you know that it is go time. It was not long while we were driving around in Mexico, I realized that I could tell you every kind of car that was around us on the road. I knew absolutely if Buddy Brasso was more than a car length behind me. I knew where Matthew was and if he missed a light, you know why? Any gap between the brothers was an opportunity for a cartel to pull us over and they wanted to. I knew who was pulling out in front of us and whether they were a policeman, whether they were friend or foe. When I drive around here, I don't notice at all. I could care less how far the car is behind me. In fact, they're usually way behind me, Charlie, because I got heavy feet. But when I was there, it was top of the mind awareness. What's the difference between there and here? There is a little bit like a war zone. And here it's not so much. We need to be very careful that we understand our environment because it is a spiritual war zone. I want to show you some scripture tonight that is about our God, our Father, our loving Messiah, the gentle Holy Spirit of peace. I want to submit to you that some of the churchisms that we have been taught to define our relationship with God about are incomplete. I'm going to show you tonight a couple pictures of God doing things that are going to make you uncomfortable. But remember, you want to be just like Him. Is there anyone in here that does not want to be like our God? Is there anyone in here that doesn't want to be conformed to His image? Well, then what God does is holy. He is the definition of holiness. Somebody turn to Exodus 15. Tell me when you're there. In Exodus 15, let us skip down to about the third verse. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. As long as that is just a story, friends. 
Then we go, oh yes, we can sing it. We can have our little kids sing it. The horse and the rider is cast into the sea. We're forgetting that they were swollen, bloated, dead human bodies floating to the surface while they were singing this song. See, to us, this religion has become pretty. It's become the kind of thing that women knit quilts about, right? But these were real human beings that died. And this was right after the bloodiest event in Israel's history. When the firstborn in Egypt and any unbelieving Israelites died, there was wailing and mourning. They were in a battle. We say the Lord is a warrior. What does that mean? Every once in a while in the charismatic movement, there are such ridiculous things. You get these people that want to roar like lions or, or bark like dogs or run around and look for gold dust and angel feathers, right? I don't know what all of that is about, but I know that the Bible story is about a God who is serious enough to take a life. He is serious enough to act on behalf of His people. He drowned an opposing army. When they said the Lord was a warrior, I want you to think about what's at stake. I'm not going to pull our kids up here for this. I don't want to overwhelm your senses, but I do want to get your attention. If Jennifer and I are at war with someone, if we were invaded, and Americans have no concept of being invaded, if we were invaded, your wives would be raped and your children would be slaves. That's what was at stake. And when they said, the Lord is a warrior, they meant it, friends. They meant He saved me from the violence that would befall me if He did not save me. What do you think Pharaoh intended to do to them? Whatever he wanted to do. See, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And, and we quote it like it's a bumper sticker. And we forget people are suffering spiritual violence all around us. You see someone that has got no food, and they are a victim of spiritual violence. Someone is trying to take them captive violently. The Lord is a warrior. He caused them to sink. In verse 6, He says, Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. The Lord is seated in the heavenly realm. The Psalms say that the earth is his footstool. Lamentation says Israel, specifically Jerusalem, is his footstool. The picture is that as the Lord sits enthroned, his feet are in one place. The same place Jesus' feet are coming back to touch. Israel. But the head extends all the way into heaven. The kingdom that was born of heaven is manifest on the earth. And who is his body? We are. So if the right hand is majestic in power... Who has to be majestic in power? Someone who is filled with His Spirit. We read about Samson and we say, Oh, he picked up city gates. He killed a thousand men with a jawbone. And we forget they were men. Regular men. One man goes into a pit on a snowy day and he kills a tall Egyptian. Another raises a spear against 800 men in a single day. And to us it's like, Oh, well, that's just Old Testament story. Have you ever seen a UFC match? You know how hard it is for one man to take another man's life? And the Lord anointed a man to take a thousand lives with the jawbone of a donkey? There were real stakes. There were real consequences at hand. 
real casualties and to us it's all sing song and nursery school but it's not to the people who are reading this book they knew what it was to have the Babylonians come in and tear open the bellies of pregnant women that's tough to even hear isn't it what are the consequences of warfare they're unthinkable to us warfare is as distant as the slaughtering of animals for hamburgers we know that it happens but we don't have to see it we just reap the benefits. We pull up to McDonald's and we order, right? Well, to us, warfare is some guy in a suit in an Oval Office says it, and then somewhere in the world that you never have to see is carried out. I'm telling you, there is warfare all around us. And whether you're seeing it or not, spiritually, you are seeing its effects. Look at Psalm 58 for me. How many of you want to pray the word? How many of you love the Word? How many of you just think that the Word is everything, man? The Word, the Word, the Word. I love the Word. Somebody read to me Psalm 5810 when you get there. Read it loud. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they bathe their feet in the blood of the of the wicked, then men will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. Is anybody surprised that's in the Bible? Let me ask you something. We all have Bibles that you can imprint scriptures on the front. Does anybody have that scripture imprinted on the front of their Bible? Does anybody have that scripture hanging in their house? Is there anybody in here that when asked any time in the last 10 years, what is your favorite scripture, said, oh, man, I got one for you. Psalm 58, 10, that's all me. <laughs> Probably not. Huh? We don't even think about God in this light. There is a serious, real struggle. And because of a verse in Ephesians where we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, we've misunderstood that to the fact that that struggle there that struggle among principalities doesn't show up here. But it does. It does. And surely as the gas prices change here based on what happens in, in the Middle East, what happens there affects here. One is a reflection of the other. When God wanted to show His throne to people, He arranged the tribes of Israel so that people could see on the earth what it would look like for the throne of God to exist. The earth is a mirror image of what is happening in the heavens. What is happening in the heavens? Warfare. How do we know it? Because we can look all around us and see oppression. We can look all around us and see the work of the enemy. My goodness. How about one more shocking scripture? Let us go to Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, and friends, we could do this all night. Psalm 68, let's start in verse 19. Praise be to the Lord, to the God, our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Isn't that sweet? Our God who is a God who saves from the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Ooh, I just get warm fuzzies about that. Surely God will crush the heads of His enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on in their sins. God will crush their skulls, friends. He will crush their skulls. You know, some of the very same prophecies that speak of Jesus in the book of Numbers, a star rising out of Jacob, promised that he will crush the heads 
of the enemies? Is that surprising? Well, to us it's all allegory, right? Oh, he didn't really mean that. Did he mean it in Genesis 3 when he said, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head? Oh, well, yeah, he meant that one. Why? Because it was spiritual. I'm going to show you tonight that there's a relationship between the natural and the spiritual. And you can relax. I'm not going to train any of you to go step on heads. That's not the point. The point is, is that there is a relationship between what's happening in the heavenlies and what's happening on the earth. And we have a responsibility. There's spiritual violence occurring around us. And it's every bit as appalling as the natural violence that you see. This Mexico awareness, this war zone awareness, is something that we have to pick up in the kingdom. We can no longer simply pass people by. Let me start with the idea of the spiritual warrior. Is that okay? Can we start there? People like to talk about spiritual warriors. Nolan, is that okay with you? It's okay? Oh, well, I needed somebody to answer me, and I'll call your names if you're not going to talk to me tonight. I'm not trying to upset anybody. I'm not trying to get excited for just being excited. I'm concerned that there's a war happening around us and that we are all too often asleep in the lap of a harlot that is false religion. I'm, I'm concerned that we have busied ourselves with distraction and that we don't even need to be opposed by the enemy because all the opposition we need is found in our own homes. Did, it, did anybody see the Coney 2012 video? I've talked about it a lot. Man, wasn't that something? Who in here thought that was a good video? I mean, anybody saw it and said, you know, I just, I think that this is off base. I don't like it. I don't want anything to do with it. Anybody in here say that? Okay, so the people that saw it liked it. Is that fair enough to say, man? Is that fair enough to say? I mean. I mean, I mean. <laughs> of course, the, the guy who did it, who I think is just right on track, wanted to change the world, 80,000, I'm sorry, 80 million some odd views of, of that video. He was stark naked on the streets of California, rambling. Some said he was drunk. Some said he was on drugs. His wife said he was dehydrated. I've never been so dehydrated that I got naked and went to a stranger's yard and began to shout things. I said, that, you know, that just can't be true. I talked with Charlie or Joe about it over lunch. I said, it just can't be true. That guy has character. I could see it. I could see the character of Christ being displayed. They have him on video. It is true. It's on video. Do you think that we're in a war? Yeah. So, well, what? That, that guy was just always a bad guy. No, he dared to step out to do something, but evidently he had not been prepared for the resistance that would happen. Come on now. Say, well, how could he do such a thing? Well, friends, you heard the expression? Don't judge me till you walked a mile in my shoes. I'm not excusing what he did. I'm saying he stepped out to get 80 million people's attention to do something for the kingdom of God, and there was backlash. There was pressure upon him. Overwhelming pressure. In Jesus, you can stand up to anything, but evidently the man was not prepared for what he had just gotten into. I want to see this world change. I want to see lives change. I want to see one life, one family, and one nation change at a time. And we, we have to prepare. I came from a town with a very famous world evangelist. People say, how could he have done what he did? Because he had a great big crash. 
actually had three great big crashes. I understand exactly how. He had the most watched program in the Eastern Hemisphere on TV. The most watched program. The former Soviet Union was fascinated with him and people were getting saved left and right. That made him a target of the enemy. I'm not excusing what he did. I'm telling you, he stepped out there. And evidently, one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the world was not prepared. Mm. Sometimes you can win enough battles that you think that you don't have any problems in the next battle. We need to ask Mr. Aiken about that. Jericho fell, and then he fell, and caused 36 men to die with him. Y'all read Joshua 7 lately? 36 men died with him because of his sin. Why? Because he wanted some gold pieces. My, my. Psalm 144. Did I tell y'all to go somewhere else? Psalm 144 while we're there. I would like to see us trained. My kids are training hard for jiu-jitsu. My son is a little upset with me. Since I've come back from India, I seem mostly trained to eat. We were working out regularly before we left. Young man's physique was starting to take shape. He was beating everybody because he was training daily. He's come back. His training has slipped. They handed him his hat at the gym the other night. So when we woke up this morning, he said, Dad, we have to go back to train. He doesn't know I am not training for a jiu-jitsu tournament. But I love him, so we'll begin tomorrow. Because the reality is if you are unprepared for the conflict, you fall victim to the conflict. That is the reality. So how do we spiritually prepare? Are you all in Psalm 144? Yes. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war. My fingers for My hands for war. My fingers for Come on now. Gabe and I are going to box. Stand up, Gabe. We're going to box. My hands for My fingers for God is able to put more power in your pinky than you could ever pack into both fists. Our king is able to train you so that with a single finger like an ancient martial arts movie, you can defeat everybody that's around you. But the enemy's biggest tool in our lives resides within us. We have three hemispheres that we're fighting in. I guess that's you can't use hemisphere like that. Three arenas that we're fighting in. The first is our flesh. If you were on a desert island and because God loved us, there was no demonic activity on the desert island. It was a spiritual neutral zone. If there was nobody else on the desert island, no worldly distractions of any kind, Joel, how long could you pray before your body revolted and said, your knees began to communicate to your mind, I don't want to pray anymore. Some say 15 minutes, maybe for Joel it's three hours, but at some point his body will rebel against his spirit and we will find out who is boss. If you're on that very same desert island and you've been born again and you had a sweet tooth on Monday and you were born again on Tuesday, on Wednesday on a desert island, what would your flesh still want? Sweets. We have an enemy that is tied to us in our sinful, dead nature. We have to learn to deal with it. 
If we don't master that and you take the man who is struggling with the temptations of his own flesh on a desert island and you put him in Times Square, what begins to happen? Temptation begins to meet opportunity. The flesh begins to mingle with the world to overcome your spirit. Our first arena will always be the battle of our very own flesh. The second arena will always be the kingdoms of this world. And the third arena will always be those spiritual forces which are trying to manipulate the other two. But I'm going to tell you a secret tonight that is the end of the series. When you get step one right, step two is not a big problem. And when you get step one and two right, step three is a no-brainer. Many of us are trying to do warfare in a spiritual realm, but we are so compromised in our lives. We have trained our bodies to love the world so that nobody takes us seriously in the spiritual realm. Come out. No, you won't be back in an hour. Come out. No, you and I both know tonight you will watch three movies that I designed myself. Come out. Why? You love me. We have to wake up. When you realize the danger that is around you, when you realize the spiritual violence being exerted upon us, it's sobering. It's sobering. I don't want anyone in here to fall victim, but more than that, I hope to train you to be able to go rescue. Because the kingdom is not about you alone. It's about one life. It's about one family. It's about one nation at a time. Acts 2.39 says this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Do you hear me? One life, one family, one nation. In the first chapter of Acts, in the 6th verse through the 8th verse, he said, but you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where you are at. Judea and Samaria, that is your family, those related to you, and to the ends of the earth. One life, one family, one nation. The Lord is directing us with laser focus to do His work. And we have to understand what His work is. Turn with me to 2 Kings. Tell me when you're in the 6th chapter. Somebody lied to me and said, Pastor, I am interested in what you were saying. I am interested in what you were Two of you, what are we going to do with the rest? Is it time to shop for a new church? God knows you can find as many as you want. I just watched an interview. Is it true that people that do not believe as you do, people who are Hindu, people who are Muslim, Jews who have not accepted the Messiah, is it true that they will not go to heaven. Well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm very careful about saying that. I, I, I don't know. You can Google it. You can read the transcript. Four times the man said, I don't know. Tell me there's not a battle going on. He's the most influential leader of our time. Right now. Our time being this couple years. People pay $350 a seat in Madison Square Garden to hear him speak and he doesn't know whether the Hindus are saved or not. Tell me there's not a battle going on. You have to direct traffic outside of his church 
It shuts down the area. So many people want to hear him speak. Are you in 2 Kings 6? In 2 Kings 6, let us read the 15th verse. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. He could see an enemy there. And so he wanted to know, what do we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Did he say, Lord, open his eyes and bring some people in for him to see? He said, open his eyes that he may see. Long before the natural forces were ever there, the spiritual forces had gathered. Friends, we are the actors on the human drama. The people pulling the strings are come from one of two things. The prince of the power of the air that is at work in those who are disobedient or those who are ruled by the Spirit of God. We are carrying out a human drama based on their will and their desires. And there is no neutral ground. He was scared. So the prophet simply prayed for Gehazi and said, Open his eyes that he may see what's really going on. And Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around who? Elijah. Elijah was a commander on the battlefield of the Lord. You just couldn't see the armies that were with him. Thus, of course, he prayed for you to see. As the enemy came down toward him, Elijah prayed to the Lord, Strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness. Let me ask you, would you rather have an M16 or Elijah? The one man Elijah was in command of the armies of the Lord. And so the one man with a servant whose knees were knocking together defeats the entire army. What's more powerful, the spiritual or the natural? See, there are warriors in both arenas. There are warriors there and there are warriors here. But this encounter leads us to believe that the warriors there are superior to the warriors here. While you're in 2 Kings, go to the 19th chapter. Say there when you're there. Look at the 35th verse. That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. One angel or a couple hundred thousand men, which would you prefer? Can we say that the spiritual warriors, when they enter into the natural arena, are devastating? Can we say that? Yes. The spiritual warriors, when they enter into the natural arena, are absolutely devastated. You guys love the New Testament? Flip with me to Luke 4. There we will read an Older Testament quote. Tell me when you're in Luke 4. There. Good girl. There. You're going to go far in the kingdom, Beth. 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. How did they get that way? How did they get poor? Did God design them to be poor? No. Did, did God make man and put him in the middle of poverty and say, now overcome? Who is responsible for man's poverty? Tell me that's 
because she's trying to drink dirty water. Tell me that's not violence. When you go and meet people that live in a garbage dump and the children run when you hold out candy because they don't know what you want for the candy. Because somebody has hurt them physically. Tell me that that kind of poverty that put them in that position is not spiritual violence. Well, who did it? Guys, sometimes look, we, we got all kind of words that the world uses for this. And I certainly don't want to bother from the, borrow from them. But something's wrong. Christians have lost their nerve, their ability to get good and upset. <laughs> I'm just telling you, whether in the world or the kingdom, I can only be pushed so far and there will be a reaction. Praise God, those reactions are completely different. There was a day when I would try to take off your head with my hands or whatever else I could pick up. Now, the reaction has got to be from something deeper, something more powerful than that, because the Spirit always, always is more powerful in war than the flesh. But you can only be pushed so far and there needs to be a fight that comes out of you. How many of you have been sick this month? How many of you are sick every month? How many of you never have a month of the year without someone in your household struggling in a terrible way? At some point, don't we got to get a little upset about that? Amen. How long can we read the promises before we feel like they're ours and someone is trying to steal them from us? Amen. Judah was just a little boy and he was calling Ralph at the porcelain throne. We were going to go to the emergency room. You told this testimony just yesterday, Judah. We were going to go to the emergency room and I'm just telling you, I was angry. Not moved with compassion, not full of biblical wisdom and knowledge. No Charlton Heston voice speaking to me from the heavens. I was fed up because somebody was abusing my son. And when we prayed, he got healed immediately. I'm not telling you that anger is an answer. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we're in a battle and spiritual violence is being performed all around us and we just don't recognize it. You will hear no name it and claim it formulas out of me. In fact, you'll hear no formulas at all. I'll simply tell you we're in a fight and use whatever means are necessary to win. And your first battle is definitely with your flesh. 185,000 men were killed by that one angel. Now we're reading Luke 4, 18, and we see the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners who took them prisoner. He saved it. Jesus defeated the devil. He conquered death. And on and on and on. He still has prisoners all over this world. Prisoners. Not just foreigners, prisoners. Not just poor people, prisoners. Prisoners. Ray, would you care if Lindsay was in jail? Yeah. I was doing mortgages for a company called UC Lending. It was for people that had not paid their previous mortgages very well. There's A-tier credit, 
And it goes all the way down to D tier. We were somewhere down there. The man was trying to borrow money against his house because his wife had run up debts gambling. I never heard somebody beg more earnestly. Never heard somebody try harder. He loved his wife and she was going to jail if he could not cure her debts. He was offering his house, his cars, anything that could be offered because <coughs> he didn't want her to be a prisoner. Apparently she was the typical suburbanite. And he just could not picture her in a prison. They're prisoners all around us. We just don't see them that way. In fact, we go so far as to say, eh, they're pretty good people. Come on, church. We've got to wake up. We're in a war zone. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind. If somebody had torn out your child's eyes, what would you want to happen? How much would you fight to prevent that from happening? Well, some of this stuff's just a product of sin in the world. Some of it's not. Why else would we say this? Go free prisoners. Some of it is not. Maybe we're trying to cure with an antibiotic something that could only be cured with a sincere prayer life. Maybe we're asking a physician to do something only the great physician can do. Church, I'm in a place in my life where I have been given a solemn warning. The solemn warning is also a great opportunity. We don't have so long to run this race. And you must finish the race in the same manner that you began it. Not very many of you were there when I began the race. But do you know what the first thing that I did was? The very first thing. I got rid of anything that even reminded me remotely of the world. I didn't want it around. I knew if there was going to be a changed nature in me, I could not have all of that garbage. I poured it out. I threw it away. I changed my entire wardrobe in a single day. I reduced it to two pairs of clothes. I changed every single appointment the next morning when I was born again. You hear that? Every single one. So well, that's not very loving. They were prisoners and I was free and I knew the way out. Every single acquaintance in my life was changed that moment. Christianity today, we don't teach any of that. We act like you're doing God a favor to be saved. And we tell you that you don't really have to do anything. Just love him and it'll kind of work out. I'm telling you we're in a war. And as long as you're wearing handcuffs that the world provided, you're a liability rather than an asset in the kingdom. That may sound harsh, friends, but God did not call any of us to be a liability. So, Eric, I struggle with this or I struggle with that. I'm not talking about Normal wear and tear in the warfare. I'm talking about caring enough to stand up and fight for others. I'm talking about caring enough to totally re-examine your life. You know, the average in America is, is more than three hours of television in a day. Did you know that? More than. 
three hours of television per American in a day. So how many are Christians? How many in that group are Christians? Well, 80% of our nation says they're a Christian. So let's just say 80% of the people who say they're Christians are watching three hours of television a day. How on earth are we going to learn to hear from the Lord? How on earth are we going to be renewed of heaven when we watch three times as much TV as we either read or pray combined? How are we going to do that? Well, just be led by the Spirit. How many of you can tell me that the Lord is leading you to watch more TV? So, okay, well, I'll throw away my TV today. Now, that would be the childish reaction. That would be the one that says, I am incapable of mastering my flesh. Let's just get rid of it. The problem with that kind of childish reaction is in a month, you will actually cost the kingdom money because you'll go buy the TV set you threw away this month. I'm not telling you to get rid of anything. But we better learn to master our flesh. We better learn. In Mark 5, look at this. It's 1 through 4. If you get there, you can read it out. I can use some help. Mark 5. They went across the lake to the region of the... Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the They were not strong enough to subdue him. Never by natural means will you overcome a spiritual power. It will never happen. Never by natural means will you be able to handle a spiritual power because the spiritual is always more powerful than the natural. I don't have to read you all of these, but in Acts 19.16, some brothers, sons of Sceva, left beaten, bleeding, and naked after encountering a singer, single demoniac. See, it is not just the angels of God that are more powerful in this realm, the spiritual realm come to the earth, than our people. It is also these devilish spiritual powers. They are more powerful than the flesh. So you can't deal with them in the flesh. You can't. If you move on from this, you find example after example. You can look at Luke 13. We should look at this one. Look at Luke 13, 10. A woman, a woman has been crippled. Luke 13, 10. Read it. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over to her and said, Woman, you are free from your sickness. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Do we do we do we have an eighteen year old in the building? Anybody in here eighteen? CJ. God dare think about this. As long as he's been alive. As long as he's been alive, Angie. A demonic power was bending this woman over, gnarling and twisting her body. 
for 18, as long as that young man's been alive, spiritual domination was happening to this woman. When have we ever thought about illnesses that way? When have we ever thought about anything that way? At best, we want to throw a few dollars in a Shriner's cup and let them deal with it. 18 years of domination by a spirit said, so, well, not all sickness is called, but some is. How did Jesus know that nobody else did? Well, I doubt very, uh, I doubt very much he had spent 12 hours watching the latest Dancing with the Stars. I doubt very much that Jesus had spent all day and night indulging in any fleshly appetite that he could find. Buffet for breakfast, buffet for lunch, buffet for dinner. Finish it off with three hours of TV. Maybe a couple glasses of wine and we'll wake up tomorrow and do it again. And then we wonder why we don't hear from God. Our Bible reading plan is literally not 15 minutes in a day. And you know what the number one thing that I hear is, Pastor, I'm trying, I just keep falling behind. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? So the Lord's been dealing with me. I'm not expecting you to, 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 to react like I am, but He's dealing with me. I have to finish better than I started. I have a little problem with that. I was pretty radical when I started my... I was pretty radical when I started. And I need to finish stronger. You know, the church at Ephesus in, in, in Revelation 2, that's a pretty good thing said about them. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitan. You don't tolerate those who claim to be apostles and aren't good things. And you know what else he said? How you have fallen from a height, you better return to your first love or I will come and take your lampstand away. I have this little problem. Some of the people who taught me, some of the people that I've been in the race with the longest, they're not doing very well. And I wonder, how did that happen? And I can look at my life and see how it happens. It's a natural kind of thing. It's a slow fade that begins to happen. We begin to accept spiritual violence all around us and we forget we were put here to do something about it. This is a book of war. And we are here to contend with the enemies of God. I'm going to share with Look, I thought I was going to teach you all about the flesh tonight. I mean, I really did. Good thing it's a series. I want to show you the scariest scripture that I have found in the New Testament. And that's saying something because I've preached two-hour messages on scary scriptures. Y'all remember that? Anybody here for that? Okay, Matthew does. It's a good thing i got one brother back. <laughs> Look at Mark 9. Mark 9, slide your finger to the 29th verse and hear this word. He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now look at your footnote. Prayer and fasting. Every disciple, all of those who would later be apostles, were trying to cast the demon out and they could not do it. You don't ever hear that taught, do you? What we hear is Luke 10, 19. I've given you authority over every power of the enemy. You'll go trample on a man. You skull drag them. You don't see the example where they could 
not overcome the devil. I need to ask why. But Jesus said it. You're not praying enough. You're not fasting enough. You are not in tune enough with what I'm doing. What were they doing? Anybody know what they were doing in that scripture right when Jesus showed up? Arguing. They were arguing. This all of this time of Jesus. They knew enough to try. Praise God. That's a step ahead of most. But they could not do it because they had attachments in their flesh that they shouldn't have. Jesus had been up all night praying. They had been up all day fighting. Why don't we have spiritual power? Is it because Jesus didn't give it to us? No. We've so deluded the authentic thing that he's given us through our attachments to this world that it's a wonder we see any success at all. So, well, Eric, I know some pretty anointed people who've got some pretty big fleshly problems. Imagine what they would be if they didn't. I can accept that a man could be even a drunk and heal the sick. A.A. Allen did it. But you have to ask yourself, what would he have been if he did not have that? Are you hearing me? Guys, I, I don't know how much of this to preach tonight. I don't know whether I've got your attention or not. And then I always run the risk that when I pick this back up someday that we won't retain what I've given you tonight. There are lives on the line. I want to give you some very simple things to make you think a little bit about these three arenas. There's some differences between your flesh and your spirit and your soul. We might say that in your spirit you're reborn. In your mind you're renewed. But your flesh needs to be replaced. Reborn, renewed, and replaced. You might say that your spirit drinks like of God. Your mind thinks whatever you're putting in it. And your flesh stinks. They all have a voice. They all have a voice. Colossians 1, verse 13 says, For you have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. Rescued. How did you get into the race? You were completely bound up. You were completely dominated. He says, from the dominion of darkness. And Jesus saved you out of that. He saved you out of that. But when he saved you out of that, you know what he didn't do? He didn't remove your flesh. The first battle that a man will always fight, the first and biggest battle that a man will always fight, is with himself. Tolstoy said people dream of changing the world, but they never dream of changing themselves. And it's true. In our battle to say one life, one family, one nation, the problem is not the nations. The problem is not the family. The problem is, is it starts with you. The biggest battle is with you. Of course, when one life totally surrenders to the Lord, it always has an effect on the family. And you show me a family who is sold out for the Lord, you won't have to teach them to go to the nation. The Lord will have already pointed them in that direction because it's where His heart is. These are the kind of people that are considering what it might mean to limit the influence of the world in their lives. 
They're the kind of people that are looking to sacrifice in some way because it's a war effort all around us. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, we took the industries of this nation. We took factories that used to make headlamps and started making Thompson machine guns. It was a movement to save bottle caps. Save a cap, kill a Jap, it said on I-59. <laughs> because we were at war. Look at Galatians 5.17. You beat me there, you can read it. Galatians 5.17. You didn't beat me there. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other. Anybody know what a conflict is? This is a war in the United States without the Congress calling it a war. It's without the declaration of war. We don't get into wars anymore. We have conflicts now. They are in direct opposition to each other. What does this mean? It means when Irma wants to pray, her flesh does not want to pray. It means that when Raquel wants to read her Bible, her flesh says no. Am I the only one that has started to read my Bible and your eyes even go unfocused? <laughs> you get on your knees to pray and all of a sudden you're thinking about macaroni and cheese? <laughs> the flesh is in direct opposition to the spirit. So let's just take a little spiritual survey privately in your own head. Which one are you yielding to more? See, we can judge how the battle's going. It shows up in fruit on the tree. You show me people that are passionate about the things God is passionate about. They're looking for ways to do them. I'll show you somebody who's winning that battle. You show me people that are just happy to get by. Not dangerous to the enemy at all. Just me, my family, me, Susie, Johnny, us four, no more. We're losing the battle. God has never been about solely prospering your family. There's spiritual violence happening all around us. We have to get in the game. We have to. We have to. What has been invested in you is a worth so that we can get in the game. Sometimes it's simple. And the overly simplistic messages sometimes fall on deaf ears. But it didn't fall on deaf ears with Steve. He came in today and said, when y'all said this the other day after the testimonies, it stuck in my heart. He's called some to go. He's called some to pray. And he's called some to pay. He said, I want to fund somebody to go. Oh, well, praise God, somebody heard. I don't want your money. I'd rather you go. I'd a whole lot rather the whole church get together every day and fast and pray. I'd a whole lot rather that. Of course, we need all three. We need all three. Well, Eric, you're just all about missions. I'm about the mission of the kingdom every day. Not just the mission somewhere else. I'm about it here too. The line today to change the title from a car somebody gave me, praise God. I told the woman all about Jesus, all about our church. I couldn't help it. There's violence going on all around us. Do you care? Look at Romans 
721. So I find this law of work when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. There was a war within the Apostle Paul. Friends, if he did not have this thing completely settled, then surely there is a war raging in you. Which nature are you indulging? Look at the 8th chapter and 12th verse. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh or sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. How important is it that you hear from the Spirit of God? Come on, raise your hand if it is important to hear from the Spirit of God. Put your hands down. When's the last time that you know that you know that you know you heard from the Spirit of God? Can you really afford to go 24 hours without hearing? Can you really afford to go seven days without hearing? If it was a war effort, friends, somebody's going to rape your wife, kill your child, put your eyes out, what would you be doing? There's a spiritual war going on around us, and the enemy's plan is to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. Where God just can't live under that burden. The Bible talks about joy. It talks Look, brothers, our God is big enough to make you joyful while you step on the head of the enemy. You want to get super excited? Feed a child. You want to find some serious joy? Let somebody put an AK-47 in your face and you get to laugh at it. I'm not lying. There were people there. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I was running on reserve. I was running on what I put in in other years. That's how the race started for me. And I packed enough in in those first years that I could coast some. But now I feel the Lord saying that's not enough there. I'm just, is it okay if I preach to y'all about me? I feel like he's saying, Eric, that's not enough. You might be able to coast faster than some of them can walk. But I've called you to more. It's a good thing we don't measure ourselves by ourselves or by comparing ourselves with others. The measurement is Christ. And we fall way short of Him. So it's time to get our fight on. We have a battle to fight. I'm not telling you what to do. I didn't even do it to the rest of my family. Each one of my children has a TV in their room. But Daddy does no longer has a TV in his room. I don't feel like I have time. Well, that's good for you, Eric. You had a vision. Well, what's your vision? I want to finish stronger than I started. It's a normal thing. And there's not a thing in the world wrong with having some leisure time. But friends, your life better not be defined by leisure time. If it is, how can we say we are forceful men laying hold of the kingdom forcefully, forcing our way into it? If it is, how can we say that we are rescuing the blind, opening prison doors? How can we say that if our life is defined by leisure I have a couple more scriptures for you and then we're going to close. Not because I want to, but because I want to worship. And I'm learning that I have another day to preach to most of you. Some of you won't come back. But the ones who do will be different. I 
pray all of you come back. Turn with me to 2 Peter. Now turn with me to 1 Peter. Verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. <coughs> what wages war against your soul? Sinful desires. Wage. I'm not, I, look, I'm not serving porn. I'm not stealing. I'm not cheating on my taxes. I'm not committing adultery. What do you mean sinful desires? Any desire you have that God didn't give you from delighting in Him. Psalm 37 says, Delight in Him and He will give you the desires of your heart. If they're desires that He didn't put in you, then they're wrong. They are. I'm not going to say the Lord won't lead you to watch TV. He has led me to watch TV. Watching the History Channel and I saw them in stone where they scratched off Diana's name and wrote Mary. I needed to see that. I was ministering in Lafayette, Louisiana. I ordered the tape. I played it in Bible studies. I'm not telling you that God will or won't do anything. I don't believe in a rule book. But when you get your heart right with Him, your desires change. I'm not going to tell our single people don't grub all over each other. Except I'm saying don't grub all over each other. But I'm not going to make a rule that says you have to keep this much distance. Or this is okay, but this is not okay. I'm not going to do those things. What I'm going to say is when you get your heart right with the Lord so that all you want is Him, you won't get close to sin. You won't even get close to it because you don't want to fall. The Bible says to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil, but to run from sexual immorality. And we treat it like a light thing. We watch a movie with six sex scenes in it. Did I say six? Six. Apparently it was not a Freudian slip. 700 F-bombs, doesn't bother us. We're not hearing that anyway. How can we laugh? How can we just let things go that cost our Lord His life? How can we do that? Let me tell you, I've done it. I've done it repetitively. I've done it habitually. I've done it on an increasing basis. But somewhere you have to draw a line and say, you know, I went down this road further than I wanted to go and it stops now. I'm not telling you you have to do anything. I'm just telling you that's where your pastor is. It's an amazing thing when God brings your life into focus and says it might end soon. It's an amazing thing. You start living wanting to be proud of your last week, not knowing when your last week is. I wish you all had that perspective. I really do. Because when you have that perspective, it has a way of clarifying things. While you're in 1 Peter, flip a right. Let's go to 2 Peter, and I think I will probably close with this. Matthew, you're going to want to work your way up here. We'll be in 2 Peter 2. 19. They promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. 
they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. No one can see. That's Louisiana's people. Please come here. <laughs> These are war terms. He's escaped the dominion of darkness. He's been rescued. But he's again entangled in it. Things that the Lord set him free from, the appetites of the flesh, are now coming back. Maybe Nolan slept every time his body said sleep. And now the Lord is saying, I'd like you to stay awake and pray. Would you not keep watch with me one hour? The spirit is willing. What is we? And it's waging a war. So while Nolan should be praying, Nolan was sleeping. That's a little bit like putting handcuffs on Nolan. Now, we're in a spiritual fight, Nolan. How well prepared do you feel for this? So the Lord has told Nolan, I need you to fast and set aside time for me. And Nolan said, you know, I don't want to fast. And Lord, I set aside time for you. It was on Sunday. And now Nolan has to come rescue this precious child for me because I've taken her captive. How is that going to work? Come on, Nolan, come rescue. <laughs> is it any wonder that all the devil has to do to most people is go, and they're gone? He causes them to fall faster than faith healers, doesn't he? You know what this looks like as a pastor? Guys just like Noah say it. I'm with you, pastor. Anywhere. To the very end. Man, this minister saved my life. Until he has a negative thought. Not a demon manifest. Not Satan himself. Not the whole world lining up and pulling at him devilish thought. And then they don't even return your calls. I've watched this for almost 20 years. I've just never seen it like I see it today. But our king does not leave us in this position. He will show you what the key is to get out. He will show you how to do it. He won't do it for you. He did that when he rescued you. Now he'll simply leave it up to you. Do you like wearing the handcuffs or would you like them off? Do you like having your feet bound or would you like them off? Do you like being a slave to your flesh or would you like to go higher? Friends, as long as all we're trying to do is manage sin, have a little less of it in our lives, as long as what we are is some kind of weird spiritual safety deposit box, we're bound and don't know it. Because God called us to advance the kingdom forcefully. He called us to go save lives. 
He called us to take the fight to the enemy. And I told you that spiritual warriors are more powerful than natural warriors, but what I didn't tell you is that the Spirit of God will fill you so that you direct them. That's the truth. I'm not going to get off this subject because quite literally the world is at stake. I'm not going to get off this subject because your family is at stake. I'm not going to get off this subject because I am no longer persuaded that your heartfelt prayer 20 years ago means anything today. I'm just not. If that didn't jive with your theology, I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time accepting the pill that says, I sincerely prayed 20 years ago. I'm bound six ways from Sunday, and there is no fruit on my tree. But it's all going to be okay. I'm having a hard time with that. The 15th chapter of John seems to suggest in very strong fashion that if there is no fruit on that tree, you did not abide in him. You are a slave by your own choosing. And so he burns you. Scripture we just read said you're a slave to whatever's mastered you. So who is the master of you, friends? If we had to look at it empirically, if we had to go hour by hour in your life and say, who is calling the shots? Who is the master of you? Not intellectual ascent. Not who do I want to be the master of me. Who is the master of you when we break it down to an hour by hour Isn't that a good question? It's not just a good question for them. It's a good question for you. We're going to change the world. We have to start with each life in here. When you get serious enough about it to dramatically change everything about your life, it will affect everybody around you. And it will spread to the nations. But as long as we think we're doing okay right now, it's all pretty good right now, then you're never going to get anything other than what you're getting right now. And if you're satisfied with that, I'm sorry for you. Because I'm not. I'm not. And mind you, I didn't have the vision. My wife did. But I'm not so stupid as to not know truth when I see it. I told you I was going to close with the last scripture, so I'm not going to flip. But I'm going to tell you that Lamentations 2.14 prophet is crying his eyes out. He's seeing the product of sin. Twice in the book. Twice in the book. He mentions cannibalism. The people of God, the princes of God, were reduced to eating flesh because it's what they desire. And in Lamentation 2.14, prophet Jeremiah lays it at the feet of the preachers. He said, you cared more about them liking you than you cared about telling the truth. And your visions have come to nothing. And you did not ward off captivity. Did you hear me? He said, you did not ward off captivity. I'm trying to make a difference at the risk of alienating all of you. Trying to provoke even if it costs us our friendship. Just so you know, there is not a single person in here, not one, that is exempt from what I'm telling you. As long as we've known each other as much as I love you, I'm 
saying this as much to all of you as I've just applied it to my own life. We forget how narrow this way is. And I want you to be fearful of salvation. I want you to be sure you're in His will. I want you to be sure. I don't want you to be just intellectually sure, settled in a moment. I want you every day to have Him as the master of your day. And if that's not the case, then we do have to question whether He's Lord at all. Stand to your feet. Let us worship. You respond any way that you want to respond. I have no interest in a big altar call. I have an interest in changed lives.